1: KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX.
2: I will be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with questions, comments, or concerns. Is there anything else? Sure.
3: About gardening.
2: Gardening, no. Yeah,
3: not just questions, comments, or concerns. Because I got a lot of questions. Do you? Do you? And I don't know if you have the answers. Uh,
2: I can make up an answer. I got really good adjectives. (laughs) That was my major in college. Was it adjectives?
3: adjectives? Yes. Okay. Did you know that there's a building? I don't mean to hijack your show. Here I am, just taking over. Can I? Can I say something here?
2: No.
3: There's a building over on Weidman Road, and all it says on the outside is Answers. Oh. I didn't know they had them all in one place. Wow. I bet they've got really good security. Let's break in. Let's do it. <laughs> okay.
2: I have a question for you.
3: Oh, okay. You're off on Friday, correct? Usually. Yeah. Were you No, off? no. I was off. No, I worked yesterday. Oh, did you? I, I work Fridays, yeah. Oh, I thought you were off on Friday. No, Fridays. I worked Thursday night and and yesterday.
2: Oh. Yeah. Because I was curious if you went out and did the Black Friday thing.
3: No. See, we we were going to do a different kind of Black Friday. There's a new kind of Black Friday. What? And what you do is you go out at 6 or 8 in the morning when the liquor store is open because there's a beer that uh, Anheuser-Busch's Goose Island puts out, and it's called Bourbon County. It's a bourbon barrel-aid stout, and they only sell it on Fr- on Black Friday. That's when they start selling it. Now, there may be some left, but I doubt it. And people line up to buy this beer. What? Yes. My wife went, Sue went last year, and got in line at 6 in the morning. She was the only woman there, and and we, we got like six or seven of them. And we've only had one in the last year, but you let them age, you keep them for a long time. And uh, so that's kind of the new Black Friday, and that's the one I'm more interested in. Oh, really? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. But I missed it. I had to work. Pretty esoteric. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, thank you, Mr. Kelly. Did you go out on Black Friday? Yes. Did you? Yeah. What'd you get me? <laughs> Nothing. Oh, <dog> on it. <laughs> oh, well. Maybe next year.
2: Maybe, (laughs) but I doubt it. (laughs) Folks, we get together every Saturday morning, and we discuss your yard, your landscape, your garden, your houseplants, potting mixes, what to do with your soil because it's so horrible. It's great soil for making bricks, but it's not all that good in certain areas in the metro area for growing plant material. How about pruning, bugs, diseases, and plant removal? plant pruning, or whatever you happen to have on your mind. Remember my words, open opportunities. After that, it's going to be physical and mental effort on your part through this great marathon called gardening. And uh, this is your show, by the way, and I appreciate you being here. And thanks to Cole. He's producing today. And uh, I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. And that's probably, I've been doing this longer than probably Cole has been alive. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. He's not even 25 yet, but that's great. Anyway, I've written five gardening books, too, are currently available at various locations, and I write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine. During the week, I do landscape consulting, which I call Walk & Talks, and you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. The homepage, there's an email address and phone number where I can be reached. Today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Wow. What a beautiful full moon. And just by chance, last night, Tracy and I were watching Moonstruck, which was dealt with this big full moon and how it changed everybody's lives and made everything a lot more interesting. But anyway, I was heading north on King's Highway, and though officially winter doesn't start for another couple weeks, I thought about winter and so decided to go skating well, not technically skating, because it was pretty early in the morning. But anyway, there was fog all over the place, up and down and all around. And as I pulled into the parking lot, there was fog all over this lake. There was an Austrian pine standing tall. Ornamental grasses, uh, they were laying down, going to sleep. Viburnums were showing last year's last season's flower bracts. Neon lights inside Red Steinberg skating rink. Outdoors, the banner said, ice skating open every day at 10 a.m. There's bald cypress trees, needles brown, ready to fall. The trunks were wrapped with lights. Larope, r- Lariope, Lariope, Spicata still looks really, really good. Trios of boxwood in between all the bald cypress are on the front side of this limestone wall, behind hornbeams and Lariope, Lyrope, whoever, Doesn't matter. And um, there was also great sounds from all the morning birds as the sun was coming up. The fire pit sits ready to go. And there's a pile of firewood that says, keep your hands off. This is strictly for Steinberg Rink Fire Pit. And uh, I'll tell you, the fog rising off the skating rink, that was really kind of cool to see. I mean, it really was neat. A sign reminds it may be slippery when you step outside the rink. So be very careful. Silver metal tubs, they were lighted and filled with four-foot-high arborvitae. Spotlights were going to shoot down onto the ice later on when it becomes nighttime. And strings of lights went from these huge spotlights all the way across the ice over to the building. And this rubber-matted walkway offers a nice cushioned path whether you've got ice skates on or not. What a great day at the skating rink, and what a great day to be outdoors, no matter what you choose to do. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I'll be back after these messages.
1: Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX.
2: Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments, 314 436 7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I know the weather guys are saying this is going to be the last kind of warmish day. So get out and do as much of your outside decorations as you possibly can. I'll tell you, we did go to Black uh, Friday. We went to South County in that area down there. When we came back, I was surprised. We kind of we don't come necessarily straight up 55 to get to a You know, our home um, there near Christie Parks, you know, Crandall Park area. How many homes were already decorated? I mean, fully decorated. This was, I mean, these people are going all out. So I was very impressed with some of them. Some I like a little bit more than others. The inflatables, uh, I mean, they are so popular, but wow. I mean, there are so many. And if you do have an inflatable decoration that you're going to put on your landscape, just realize that spot where it's sitting underneath that it's gonna probably kill whatever there is there. So if you're putting it on your lawn, that probably area of lawn is gonna be dead, not only just because of, let's say the sun lack of sunlight and everything else, but just the simple fact that you're you know spa- placing something on that spot. And then when it's not inflated, obviously it collapses. So it's not only gonna just mirror image the bottom of your inflatable, but also it could really create some real disasters. And the disaster comes from the fact of humidity. Humidity equals fungus. And fungus in lawn is something you don't want to have happen. Even though fungus, winter funguses are generally considered, let's say, pink funguses. So they're not really deadly. But what they do is just weaken that area where the fungus has been a problem or where it has or where it is. And then consequently, when we get around to summertime, when the really killer funguses happen, it just sort of acts as a catalyst. So let's now go to Manchester, Missouri, for the first call of the day and go into Tony's yard. Hi, Tony.
4: Oh, thanks, Mike. I've got a uh, 35-year-old pin oak, and I've had it professionally serviced uh, every other year. Uh, One of the local companies comes out, and they deadwood it. But it's got a lot of these hard balls on on the branches. And I remember there was something at Calvary Cemetery where they said they knocked a lot of these trees down. Uh, is there is that a real serious problem?
2: Basically, it's more an aesthetic problem than anything else. What that is is that actually a type of insect that stings the twigs on the oak trees, and they go for the red oak group rather than the white oaks. Mm-hmm. And then that bloating is what the insect that hatches out, you know, virtually creates to protect it from being eaten by some, you know, by whoever would happen to want to eat it. But mm-hmm. these are called galls, G A L L S and uh the pin Oaks I mean there are some trees the only, when they really become problematic is when they get you know so many and so large and the weight becomes so much that it starts causing cracks or fissures in the branches or twigs and mm-hmm. then moisture gets in there and then it leads to you know a rot circumstance but them in and of themselves are not all that deadly to the tree
4: okay well listen I appreciate your help thank you
2: well thanks thanks for calling and and Let's go now to Mike, and Mike is in St. Louis. Hi, Mike. Hey, how's it going this morning? Very good.
4: Good. So I've got a Venus flytrap, and uh, when I got it, it was really tiny. It could barely handle the gnats that come off the produce that you get at the grocery store. Wow. But it did its thing, and uh, all the traps eventually closed, so I'm guessing it it got its meals. And, of course, then it went through its cycle where the— The traps died, and new leaves have come out. Right. And they've got these little bitty things that look like they could be traps. The leaves keep growing, but the traps do not. And now a couple of the leaves have started to turn black, and they're falling off. So I figured maybe it was too cold in the house, so I built a terrarium out of a two-liter bottle, and I'm putting it in there, and it it did green up again, but I'm wondering how often I should let it out or or what I should do because it's not going to be able to get any insects. If uh, if it's trapped in that terrarium,
2: well, to be honest with you, they don't really need the insects to survive. They're a plant, so they're really getting nutrients and everything else from you know whatever medium you have them growing in. So the the, so the fact they capture you know insects is you know sort of just something that they do. But it, I mean, yes, they can they do digest them and cause them to dissolve the insects, but it doesn't really help the overall health. So just watch out as far as watering and everything else. And uh, don't overwater because that can be be more problematic than anything else. If no insects get into it, it's not really going to affect the overall health.
4: Okay. So now I've got it growing in uh, one-third sand and two-thirds peat is what I read I should put it in. Right. And I'm watering with distilled water. Wow. Should I add any type of supplements to it, or or anything, or just how long should I let that go?
2: Uh, this time of year, no. But I would say it wouldn't hurt. Let's say as the days start getting longer, sometime around mid March or mid, you know, some late March, something like that, to go ahead and get some fertilizer for house plants and just do it. Treat it like a regular plant and fertilize it. You know, when the days are longer and you're fertilizing the growing growing medium. Even though it's very well-drained and everything else, you still want to, you know, as the nutrients from the fertilizer go down through the medium that it's growing in, the root system of the Venus flytrap will capture what it needs.
4: Fantastic.
2: Thank you so much. Certainly, and thank you. And, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Last week... Well, let me tell you a little bit of history. Um, When I was in high school, my grandmother lived in Richmond Heights, and I worked at a restaurant that was just south of Hanley or west of Hanley Road on Clayton Road called Perkins Pancake House. And I learned at that time that, uh, you know, if you're a cook, I started off as a busboy, then I became a dishwasher, and then finally a cook in the last year or so, that uh, you eat your mistakes. So I'm going to have to eat a mistake I made last week what that mistake was last week is a gentleman called and he said he's got twigs on his tree and there's something that's girdling around the branch cutting the bark off about 16th of an inch i couldn't think of anything so i kept thinking cicadas no it's not cicadas because they they do a rutting on the underside of the branch, and those little twigs can fall off, too. But what as I drove away, I almost turned around and came back to the station, and I was going to get into investing sense and say, uh, I need to make a correction. But the gentleman who called, what these things are, there's two different kinds of insects. One's called a twig girdler, and one's called a twig pruner. And what they do is they... Go after like oak trees, maples, chestnuts. I forget what kind of tree he actually said the problem was with him. But all kinds of different trees, nut trees, locust trees, hackberries, red buds, bass, basswood, dogwoods, and everything else. And the adult is about uh, three-quarters of an inch long, and it has a snout, and it's a beetle. So when they lay these eggs, they start, uh, you know, like doing this twigging thing. So what they do is the beetle will cut all the way around the branch on the little tip where the eggs have been plant, you know, laid. And so that will fall, and that's to the advantage of the larvae as it hatches to be on the ground as opposed to be uh, up in the tree. So, again, this, this last week I... So what I'm doing is I'm chewing bark. It's not really all that tasty. So... I wish, you know, I just hate the fact I have to eat my mistakes. But anyway, that's what, you know, I'm sorry I couldn't think of it. But this is, I mean, this, the pruner actually goes after even quince and flowering fruit trees, sweet gums. There's really not too many trees that they don't, you know, monkey around with. And so consequently, that's what, you know, for some reason, as I was driving away last Saturday, I thought twig girdler. Hmm. That was the answer. So unfortunately, I've had like nine mistakes this year so far. And once you hit double digits here, I'm, I'd be on the cusp. So they may push me off the edge and say, that garden hotline, it's no good no more. He's making too many mistakes. Ten mistakes a year is just too many. Um, away from that, as much as I still got the taste of that bark in my mouth, but anyway, this time of year, go out in your if you have zoysia and you're seeing any kind of grass blades that are green, this is not good because what that says is you've got something in your zoysia that is not zoysia. So it's either an annual bluegrass, it's some other kind of ornamental, not ornamental grass, but some other kind of lawn grass that's in there. So it's problematic from the standpoint that usually you've stopped cutting your zoysia so the the green blades are going to continue to elongate. And so as they do, they're going to lay down, You know whether it's rain, whether it's snow, like the rain yesterday that we got caught in when we were out on Black Friday. It was surprising how fast it came up and how hard it was raining. But anyway, it mats your lawn down, and then consequently, that's, again, going back to the fungus problems. The main problem we really have here, if the soil is adequate— and you do the core aeration, the composting, and everything else, that's you know, really wonderful. But fungus is really the main problem our lawns have here. So if you've got the long green blades in your Zoisa, you might have to get your mower back out and continue to cut for you know, a little bit longer. And uh, other things that you need to be thinking about in your lawn, regardless if it's zoysia, fescue, or bluegrass, is some of the annual cool season weeds. There's henbit. There's chickweed, there's the annual bluegrass, there's prickly lettuce, there's Persian speedwell, there's clover, there's shepherd's purse. Those are the main annual cool season weeds. Those weeds actually germinated last August. That's why I always in August, mid-August, early August, I say, get a pre-emergent down. That's what controls these guys because what happens is these germinate And they germinate and they grow. They'll grow all the way through the wintertime. They don't care how cold it gets. They don't care if the ground freezes or anything else. And they will continue to seed. And then consequently, then when the weather starts warming up, let's say mid to late April, hmm, then they go, ooh, we can't handle this heat. So the mother plant dies. But through the course of the growing season for them, they've been dropping seeds the whole time. So that is what You need to put a pre-emergent down in August for. So go out and just take a look in your lawn. You know, if you don't want to hang up any lights or ornaments or anything today, why not take a look at your landscape? This is a good day to do that. So henbid, chickweed, annual bluegrass, some clovers, some speedwell. So they're probably not in flower yet. But uh, just go online, look at for cool season annual weeds, then you can see what they look like and find out if you need to put a pre-emergent down, let's say, next August. So you, for some reason, we got into this concept where we only thought that putting it down once should take care of the weeds for the entire year, but there's two different kinds of annual weeds. One's a cool season and one's a warm season, so... Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. We will be back after these messages.
1: This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes,
2: folks, take a look out in your yard. How deep are the leaves? Whoa. Some areas, the leaves are pretty darn deep. So that's one of the things I'm going to do when the show is over today. I'm going to get rid of some of the leaves that are piled up in Part of my landscape due to the winds and everything else. And then the leaves with that rain that we had yesterday, again, fungus problems on lawn certainly. But there's also fungus problems on all kinds of perennials, ground covers, and things along that line. So just understand, fungus is rules. And when we get this pile of leaves piled up and you get moisture... And then I think tomorrow they're saying possible rain slash snow or whatever. Let's go now to Bridgeton and see what's going on in Chuck's yard. Hi, Chuck. Good morning. Hi. Uh,
5: I was the one who called about the twig girdler. Oh, really? Yes. Well, I'm uh, su- So you answered part of my question. The other part was, what do I use to treat that?
2: There's, there's really not too much treatment, to be honest. I mean... They're virtually saying uh, the larvae. What you can do is use a basically a, something a systemic type insecticide to get it in to get it in there. But also you have to understand that you know as a larvae they're down on the ground now. When they hatch, then they're going to burrow into the ground and become a small grub. So you know an insect control like that would certainly be a benefit. Maybe more so than doing something like an injection to the tree. So my advice would be to use like a grub control or an insect control in your lawn areas or in your landscape, whether it's, you know, ground cover beds or anything else.
5: Okay. All right. Good luck with Thanks. that. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Sure.
2: And, you know, I don't know. I forget what kind of tree you had, but uh, I was eating bark of a paper towel. Anyway. Thanks, Chuck and uh, George and O'Fallon, Missouri. How are you today?
6: I'm um, great. How about yourself? Very good. Hey, I know you say you do a lot of pots and containers. Yes. Uh, what do you do with your large ones in the wintertime? Do you bring them in or cover them or?
2: What no, do do? I leave them out. Basically, out. I pull all the annuals out. This year was, you know, my main thing was cannas, which I They just went prolific. Cannas and elephant ears. That was the main. And then I have ones that are just filled with regular annuals. I yanked that stuff out. I drop this, you know, I take the potting mix out to a certain depth and then I backfill them with uh, spring flowering bulbs. So, daffodils, tulips, crocus, whatever it happens to be.
6: Wintertime, you don't have to worry about them freezing and cracking and stuff like that? Well, I
2: don't use, to be honest with you, the ceramic ones, the, you know, or the the terracotta ones, I don't use anymore because they did crack. I do move those back inside into the garage. But I have these kind of like styrofoam types or plastic. And she, over years, finally, they will, but uh, it's multiple years of use that I can, you know, get out of them where they just stay out year-round, regardless of the weather, regardless of anything else.
6: Mm-hmm. Okay. And one more question. I uh, winterized my lawn probably early October and had some leftover. Can you, like, do, like, a, maybe a half rate? In November or December. Yeah, if
2: you're going to do it, I'd get it done really soon though, because it's to actually get for the plants to actually get a benefit, and that's only if you have a cool season lawn like yeah. z- or fescue or bluegrass. If you have warm right. season, definitely not.
6: Mm-hmm. Okay. Perfect. Thanks.
2: Yep. Yeah, the bulbs are. I mean, they're great, and uh, I can't say that I plant all my pots. I some pots I just leave out, and uh, you know what I did this past week is I bought a couple conifers, you know, kind of small in three-gallon pots, and then I've stuck those in a couple of the pots. I left them in the pot that they came in, and uh, just to give a little bit of, you know, color or a little bit of interest to the pots, because I have a whole bunch of them right outside of our front door, and it gets kind of boring until I actually, st- I fill a couple pots up with, uh, at least on the top of them, with a uh, let's say, Christmas bulbs and Christmas ornaments and that type thing. But right now, I just, you know, I stuck a couple of conifers in there. Sandy lives in Course. Sandy, how are you?
7: I'm great, Mike. How are you? Very good. Question that I have is, I have uh, three pin oaks that line the back of my yard, and they haven't started really dropping seriously yet, but they will in the next month or so. Right. And when they do, they... They drop primarily in an ivy bed, which I blow out. I blow all the leaves off the top of the ivy, and then I mulch it with my lawnmower. I mulch it really, really good three or four times to get it really small. Can I use that as a mulch over a bed that I have hostas in?
2: You could. um, I mean, there's nothing wrong with doing that, but it's kind of rough to get it out of there. So once you've mulched it, I have
7: to do that, or else I'll kill the ivy.
2: Yeah, I understand that, but I mean to get the, let's say, the mulch that you've created with your mulching mower by mowing all these leaves and everything else uh, to get it out of your ivy without tearing up your ivy would be kind of rough.
7: No, no, I blow it out of the ivy onto the lawn. Oh, just uh, when it's still full size. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay. And then I mulch it with my mower over the grassy area.
2: And then you put some of it back onto the ivy, or no? N-
7: no, I put oh. it. I bag it, and then I have a really long, about a thirty foot long bed of hostas, and I was going to just dump them on top of those hostas.
2: It's you. You should be all right. Just don't make it too deep. Generally, you want to use leaf mulch that has been actually more or less composted to a certain point. But you should be fine. You know, if your hosses are big and healthy, maybe some of the smaller ones or young ones might have a little bit of trouble with that. But uh, overall, you should be fine.
7: Okay, great. Thank you very much. Yep.
2: And if anybody else has any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Yes, the oak trees are still holding on to their leaves, as they historically do. But I'm really surprised the Bradford pears still have all their leaves. Yes. And... Some of the maples still have leaves, and it's surprising. I mean, they've gone through the whole color thing, which this fall was, you know, color-wise was one of the most spectacular I've seen in a long time. But for maples to be holding on to leaves here after Thanksgiving seems a little bit rare. But that shows you how, you know, weather and everything else can really make an influence. And then also where the individual trees are because of protection of houses or whatever it happens to be. So as we, as I look out into the little park area on the north side of uh, Soldiers Memorial, I mean, there's sweet gum trees that still have all their leaves. All the oak trees still have all their leaves, and some of the trees are still green. They haven't even started to turn the brownish yet. So it's really kind of wild and crazy in the outdoors. Let's go now to Marie, and she lives in Afton. Hi, Maria.
8: Good morning, Mike. I was wondering, since you're talking about uh, you know leaves causing fungus on lawns and things, right? I cover my my garden beds with leaves to keep the the weeds out and everything through the winter. Am I doing harm or good?
2: Well, it probably doesn't keep weeds out, to be honest.
8: Well, it it it's there are a lot less when I pull the you know right. the leaves off. They just don't grow.
2: <laughs> That's <laughs> true. I mean, that definitely helps because what you're doing, you're just kind of creating a coat or a buffer. And some uh-huh. of the weed seeds, if you've got weeds there, the seeds, the seeds can germinate and just come up through the leaves. Uh-huh. But uh, in, in essence, it keeps new ones from coming in, blowing in or whatever it happens to be. So you're probably fine. I, I'm assuming when you go out to plant, then you pull the leaves off or you are you yeah, do...
8: I just pull them off and I throw them in my compost. Yeah, yeah.
2: I mean, that's fine. You're doing everything. That's perfect.
8: Okay. Good. Thanks, Mike.
2: Yep. And then you're going to get a little bit of nutrient benefit because everybody must realize that in trees or shrubs, you know, as the nutrients come up and moisture come up from the root system, they go up to the leaves or to the needles. And then that's those leaves slash needles use sunlight to make food. And so when all those needles or leaves fall, there's actually a good you know element of food in those leaves or needles. They're just not dead per se. So, you know, that could be the advantage of just a small amount of very subtle organic type of fertilizing. So Macy lives in Collinsville. Hi, Macy.
9: Hi, I'm Marcy, calling sorry. about the, pe- the-, <laughs> that's okay. the pecan twig girdlers. Right. I read online that once the twigs drop, you should put them in a burn pile and burn them so that the eggs don't have a chance to hatch. Yeah, so,
2: I mean, you could certainly do that. But I don't, you know, open burning is not something that can be done in a whole lot of different places.
10: That's true. But in my place, I can.
2: (laughs) Right, because you live in Illinois. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess you could put them in like a barbecue pit and do it that way. But, yeah, I mean, that is certainly one option, too, is to, you know, to open burn. Right. That's all I had. All (laughs) right. Great. Thanks, Marcy. And now let's go to Bill. And Bill lives in O'Fallon, Missouri. Hi, Bill.
6: Uh, good morning. Uh, my question is about a, uh, about a approximately a 22-year-old uh, red maple tree. Mm-hmm. And for the last uh, three or five, it's a beautiful tree. Uh, I don't know the dimensions on it exactly, but probably at least a 20-some inch diameter. And uh, uh, as far as the uh, breadth of the base of the tree goes. Uh, at the last four or five years, I've been losing branches on one particular side of the tree. Uh, but every year, you know, it seems like there's a different branch, not big in diameter, but a, a good-sized branch that would die. And I cut it off, and then uh, a year later, there's another branch nearby that's all in one particular area. I'm wondering if uh, someone told me that the roots could be ch- uh, choking on that side of the tree. That That's common for maple trees. And I'm curious whether I, I have a potential dying tree or not.
2: I don't, you know, I don't think it has anything to do with the root system because a root system, I mean, you know, even if the root system, part of it goes under a driveway, a street or something else, there's still going to be a, a compensation with the existing feeder roots to uptake nutrients and moisture and it shares it with all the sides. It doesn't know that, oh, I'm on the left side, so I'm only going to send nutrients and moisture up to the left side of the tree. How about on this side of the tree where you're getting these branches dying? Is there nearby trees?
6: No, there's nothing. It's all by itself. Uh, there's nothing out there. There's no concrete around it or anything along that line. So it's totally freestanding. <clears throat> That's correct.
2: I would say, you know, it's just a quirky thing of nature. If the tree overall looks healthy and you're getting, you know, all trees as they mature, and this, you know, this tree's not old by any means, but they're always going to have dead wood. Why your particular tree in this particular location is having a situation where the branches that are dying or de- become dead wood are on the same side is, you know, just kind of a quirky thing. I don't think it has anything to do with anything other than the fact, I was going to say, if there was trees close by, building close by, or something like that, that could have an impact. But overall, if it's freestanding all by itself, this is just a quirkiness.
6: Wow. Okay. Well, I thank you very much for that.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, there's not going to be anything that can attack just one side of the tree. It's just not going to happen. So, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. We will be back after these messages.
1: This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller on KMOX.
2: I'll tell you, anybody that has done an installation of any type this fall has really gotten lucky with the amount of moisture we're getting. It's just, it's coming in a right sequential type thing. So, I mean, the rain yesterday. It caught us by surprise. You know, you look at the hourly, you know, hour-to-hour forecast on weather.com or whatever it happens to be. they say, oh, rain for an hour and then, you know, no rain for an hour. But yesterday, that was like five or six hours of pretty darn steady rain. So luckily, as we got home a little bit, probably around 5 o'clock or a little bit after, the rain had stopped because we had a bunch of packages we had to carry in. And, you know, when I go out in the rain— it really makes my hair curly and wow, that is just really a heartache. So anyway, cause I don't wear hats. I don't wear, I don't like anything at all on my head except hair. So let's go now to Overland and see what's going on with Joel. Joel, how are you?
11: Good morning, Mike. Two years ago, I dug up a flower bed that had irises in it. I pulled the bulbs out. We were having some work done. I had put them temporarily into the garage. Mm-hmm. Um, so fast forward two years to today, is it going to be a waste of my time to try and replant those?
2: Go out and take a look at them. And I'm assuming you're, you're the, the traditional type flag iris you're speaking of, not the bulb type iris, because there are certain iris that have roundish bulbs as opposed to like, let's say, worm or snaky looking
11: things. No, these are the worm, snaky looking ones, okay. the long, oblong ones. Okay,
2: yeah. if as long as they feel firm and everything else, then you're fine. And just make sure that you plant them just slightly below the surface in a well-drained area. They got to have well-drained soil. Full sun is by far the best. So the top of okay. that wormy, snaky thing should be about a half inch or so below the surface.
11: Is that a, a, a vertical placement or no? No, no, horizontal. No,
2: horizontal
11: horizontal okay right. top by half inch below right okay great now i didn't I, want to waste my time but i'm going to do it today <laughs> while i have the time before it freezes
2: right now i will tell you now did these were these iris producing flowers when you dug them up because of construction or whatever
11: yes yeah okay. they were fine beautiful beautiful flowers coming up everything
2: then you should be fine because i was going to say if they were ones that you know had not flowered for a year or two i wouldn't even bother with it but uh, since they've flowered historically, yes, get them in the ground ASAP.
11: Absolutely. Great. Thank you very much, Mike. Appreciate yep. it.
2: No fertilizer, nothing. Just leave them alone. If you want leave to, you alone. can put an inch or so of mulch over the top of them once they're planted.
11: Great idea. All Great. right. Thank you very much. Yep. Well, thank we're you gonna... for the show. Have a good day.
2: Well, thank you for having me on your show. And now let's head south towards Arnold and go into Tom's yard. Hi, Tom.
12: Hi, Mike. Good morning. Hi. In my in my front yard, I have a uh, probably 14-year-old oak tree we planted when we moved there. And shortly thereafter, we couldn't grow any grass, of course. So I went to a plan B and put in a, a mulch bed with hostas and beautiful flowers. Well, the, the deer got word of that, and they tore everything down and ate it all. So I like to go to a plan C, and I would like to put in some type of ground cover, Uh, ivy of some sort, what would you recommend to put in there?
2: I would probably, as opposed to ivy, you could certainly use ivy. Ivy is a little bit more aggressive or invasive or whatever. I would look at the Vinca, V-I-N-C-A, Vinca Minor, and the common name is periwinkle. It is an evergreen ground cover. It won't climb the tree trunks, and it's a little bit slower growing, and it does produce blue flowers in the springtime. So if I had a choice, that's
12: what I would use. Okay, and that's available at any garden sh- garden center like in the springtime
2: yes exactly there may even some you know it's a little bit late to be planting any kind of let's say plant other than a tree or shrub this time of year but yeah vinca minor is a common ground cover you get flats or six packs or whatever of it and you can actually get it in one gallon pots too
12: okay now i have like that rubber mulch in there right now should i rake that out first or absolutely
2: just- yeah get rid of that stuff
12: okay all right thanks for your help sure
2: my pleasure and now let's go to Barb and she lives in Winsville. Hi
1: Barb. <laughs> Hi Mike.
13: Uh, I my question is about uh, violets. I had about 12 <clears throat> um, African violets mm-hmm. uh, and there was so much trouble watering each one individually. I plant I put about three uh, in pots each each pot uh, about. I don't know, eight inches across, Uh, they haven't flowered for a long time. Will, because they are in these larger pots, more soil, would that impede the flowering?
2: It certainly can. And, you know, it doesn't make sense. But, yeah, a lot of plants are going to do a lot better when they're pot bound in small pots. And African violets happen to be one of those. So if they're too deep or anything else, I don't know exactly what the chemistry or, you know, the chemical factor that creates a circumstance where it more or less stops them from flowering. But my guess is you're absolutely right that that's why they're not flowering for you.
14: Mm, so
2: even if you jam some more into the same pot, if it's a big pot, I don't think they're going to. You know They're not going to do anything for you. There is an African Violet Society, and when you go to the African Violet shows, some of them are going to be in larger pots, like three- or four-inch pots, but for the most part, in some, maybe even a little bit bigger, but there's not too many that are in pots that are bigger than that. Now there are going to be a few, but uh, for the most part, and are you fertilizing them with African Violet food, too? Uh,
13: Not too much. They've been in these pots maybe about two months, and I thought maybe they needed to... Uh, settle in better uh you're right pot, but
2: if you know if it's only been two months and they haven't flowered i wouldn't worry about it
13: really uh their pots are about four or five inches deep and f- uh, so that won't hurt them i just thought they'd be easier to take care of right and trying to keep each little pot uh damp enough uh is kind of a headache
2: absolutely so, I mean, I think you're probably, you know, I wouldn't, you know, do anything. See, I thought you'd you know, transplant them, a, let's say, a while ago, more than one or two months.
13: But when no, you tra- it's been a couple of months now.
2: Yeah, but when you transplant anything, and especially something that's a little bit iffy as far as a houseplant goes, uh, you could sort of knock out the sort of flower, you know, flowering cycle, and it could mm-hmm. take them a little mm-hmm. time to recover. So just okay, just be patient. Okay.
13: Question quick, uh, the uh, cactus uh, blooming this time of the year. Christmas cactus. Yes, (laughs) I'm lost there. Uh, How can you force them to bloom?
2: You really can't. So, again, just get some fertilizer for, you know, cactus plants. Get a fertilizer for your African violet plants. Use a specific fertilizer and give them as much light as you possibly can.
13: Yes, I am doing that. All right. All right, thanks,
2: Mike. Yep, thanks, Barb. And, folks, that ends the first hour of the Garden Hotline. So if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, you can get lined up for the next hour. So thanks, to everybody, for calling in. I greatly appreciate it. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I'll see you after the news.
1: KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX
5: uh mr kelly
2: before you step out and get back in that newsroom
3: gotta go to work man gotta go to work
2: i'll I'll make it quick now with hockey they you know it's really an exciting sport and i know Mm -hmm. you're really into sports and that's why i'm asking you this and fighting is part of it Mm -hmm. what do you think if they made fighting part of basketball would that make it more exciting
3: (laughs) no Hmm. you know i was actually thinking of that earlier because you know a lot of people think there shouldn't be Fighting in hockey, and I guess I would be okay with that because I love the game itself. Right. But you got to admit that, you know, a fight at the beginning of a hockey game or a key point in a hockey game can really change the way the game is played. Right, the momentum. It's just, I don't know, it's a different, uh, it's a different culture, I guess. It's never been a part of the other sports. Right. And so I don't know that, you you know, it, it would be introduced, and I don't know that it brings that same effect. As it does in hockey. Right. It's a good question though. I mean, basketball fights are great because those guys have really long arms. <laughs> I mean, and they, they can connect and they're not wearing any padding. I That's mean it's true. like, oh my God, look at that. You know, and then baseball fights are usually, you know, pretty mellow unless you're Nolan Ryan and you just push. He's known for beating Robin Ventura up. <laughs> uh so yeah, I don't I don't know. But yeah, it, I you know, I'm not a hockey player, I never was, but I played a sport called broomball.
2: Yeah, which was brooms that were taped up when we hit a ball. Uh Now, we didn't have any fights during those games, and they seem to still be exciting.
3: Yeah, Yeah. I I think it would still be exciting, but I do think there is a role, minimal, but a role uh, for fighting in hockey. Ah, well, thanks for your insight. My pleasure. And, folks, welcome to the second
2: hour of the Garden Hotline. I'll be giving the tip of the trowel shortly, but right now you can call 314 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. With questions, comments, or concerns, the Garden Hotline has become a very difficult show, so now we have two people working on it. We have... Cole, and he's doing the production, and Matt's answering the phone. So if you call, just give Matt where you're calling from, and uh, you don't have to tell him anything else other than your name and where you're calling from. So this is really a tough show. I mean, I can tell you, that's why they have to have two people. And uh, we can talk about what about annuals. We, I was surprised the other day. We were outside a uh, retail strip mall, and they still had their pansies still look pretty darn good. You know, my pansies, uh, they're a little bit iffy as far as because of that cold snap a couple weeks ago. But these look good now. They were underneath an eave, and they were well-watered and everything else. But uh, your bulbs, if you still have bulbs that you need to plant, whether the iris, like the gentleman in last hour that he dug them up a couple years ago, and can he still plant them, or whether you still have daffodils, tulips, grape hyacinths, hyacinths, crocus or anything else, yes, you can still get them in the ground. Your edibles, your cool season edibles, the ornamental cabbage and kales that I have, uh, they don't look too bad, but uh, they are suffering a little bit due to the cold weather. Your ground covers, your houseplants, your lawns, your perennials, your trees, your roses. I think what I want to do is uh, probably within, I might do it today. I haven't decided if I'm going to. I have knockout roses growing in pots. I think I'm going to go ahead and cut them back either today or next Wednesday, and then pull them into the garage and then store them for the wintertime. So that's going to be done real soon. And uh, let's see, what else? Trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens? I'll share my thoughts, but always remember, remember my answers, comments, and opinions is certainly not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered as an option for you to consider. As I said before, Cole is producing today. Matt's answering the phone And uh, during the week, I do landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. If you'd like for me to come to your home and do, uh, whether it's, let's say, problem solving, an aesthetic situation, or whatever it happens to be, recommendations for different new plants, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. On the homepage, there's my email address and phone number. And you can contact me, and I'll come over to your home, and we'll spend some time. Taking a look. And the tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual group or a situation that's made an impression on me. And it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636 861 3344. Today's tip of the trial goes out to, again, I'm, you know, this is a time of year when the plant material, for the most part, not all by any means, but uh, sometimes, uh, you know, It doesn't get, let's say, boring, but there are so many plant societies that meet, whether you're into African violets, whether you're into orchids. So in, you know, houseplant type things, cactus, you know, Christmas cactus, those sort of things. There are plant societies all over the region and just gardening. So whether you can go out and do the garden planting or anything else this time of year, why not You know, sort of mingle with some people that really have been experienced in lots of different types of things? So some of the plant societies like the Richmond Heights Garden Club, St. Clair County Garden Club of Belleville, the St. Louis Evening Herbalist, this Hosta Society of St. Louis— The O'Fallon Garden Club, that's in Illinois. Also, the O'Fallon Garden Club in Missouri. The Newtown Garden Club, that's in St. Charles County. The Pasadena Garden Club. So there's garden clubs all over the place besides ones that specifically go and concentrate on one type of plant. So all the people that belong to those societies, the tip of the trowel goes out to you because I know the expertise that you have is absolutely beyond belief. So take a look you can go online. You can go to mobot.org. So that's missouribotanicalgarden.org. And it will list all the plant societies that meet at the Botanical Garden. Now, local ones, you can just go online and see if there's any kind of plant societies that you might be interested in and that don't necessarily meet at the Botanical Garden. But the Botanical Garden, I mean, they got some meeting of some plant society almost every day. So let's get a call or two in before we take a break. Let's go to Steve. And Steve lives in South County. Hi, Steve.
15: Hi, good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, I got a new, newly established lawn, um, Had uh, lived in Peebley, and it was nothing but weeds, and just moved here last year. Anyway, I got some bluegrass growing in the front yard. Everything was wonderful. Starting to come in, creep in with some bent grass and some other weeds that are starting to pop up. Is it too late to throw a shot of tenacity at these weeds? Um Basically, Dude, the herbicides
2: ahead. are going to be pretty much ineffective. Even though we get warm days and some cool days and other things, it's you know you're probably wasting your time and energy.
15: Okay, yeah, because I, I had a bluegrass coming in, it was looking nice, and next thing I know, I'm getting some weeds coming in. I'm going, hey, you guys are starting to thrive. I didn't know if I should hit them <laughs> now or
2: not. Yeah, that's. I mean, I don't know what you did as a preparation for your lawn. Did you kill everything off before you started a new lawn?
15: No, I, I cut it down, I beat it back, I dethatched it. That's pretty much down to Mother Earth. There was a few few spotty uh, grasses in there. Um, uh, soil prep, I took and um, put some uh, peat moss, some starter fertilizer, some soil in some areas that weren't there. Got the wife water in it. Frickin grass came in good. A few weeds came in. Um, and so pretty much just weed and, uh, did the starter fertilizer, two applications of it. And it's it's looking good. I got the greenest yard in the subdivision. It's looking good, but now in this one area where I had this beautiful bluegrass coming in, some weeds are starting to pop out. I didn't nuke everything and kill everything beforehand, right?
2: And yeah, if you didn't, also take a look at what you know, find out what kind of weeds these are. These might be perennial weeds. So when the weather warms up next spring, you can go after them with some kind of herbicide, you know, broadleaf weed killer or and find out if they're annual weeds, because if it's an annual weed, it's going to be a cool-season weed, and that's when you would put a pre-emergent down next August to kill the cool-season annual weeds that germinate that time of year.
15: Yeah, to me it looks like it's more like a, a kind of a bent grass okay. that's, that's coming up in there, and it's like, well, it's that's going to keep coming back. I looked at, I was going to put some prodiamine down in like late Mar- uh, January from March, March, April, right. to try to get rid of some of the stuff and then do some, you know, all that other, other product with the weed and feed and stuff like that after that. And then around August, go ahead and hit it again and keep the crabgrass because it was nothing but weeds in this area. Oh,
2: that's so. too bad. Yeah, but well, I mean, uh, know, yeah, new lawn, It's they're really tough to get established. And especially from right. seed, you know, I mean, just plan on overseeding every May and every September if you're not going to put a, a pre-emergent down. Because it's going to take several years to get your lawn thick, and then go. Well, I realize in, that. Yeah, and then battle these areas that you're talking about.
15: All right. Appreciate your time. Thank yep. you very much.
2: Certainly, and uh, you know, if you got a certain patch of, let's say, bent grass or whatever it happens to be, Bermuda, or anything else, uh, there's nothing wrong with going out and you know taking paintbrush and painting Roundup directly onto those areas if it's just a solid weedy grass type thing. So thanks, Steve. And Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. We, we we will be back after these messages.
1: Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX.
2: Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Certainly you can do the pruning on your trees and everything, you know, if you want to. The maples, beeches, and birches would prefer to be pruned during the summertime versus this time of year, but it's a good time to have somebody come out and take a look, especially if your trees still have foliage, because getting rid of the dead wood, a couple people in the last hour called about dead wood and whatever – that's, you know, you want to get that out of your trees because it's just an invitation for, you know, potential problems. So that's why you want your, it's not only an aesthetic thing, it's actually for the tree's overall health. Now, one gentleman said he had somebody come out every, I think, every other year to dead wood. That might be a little bit more than what you need to do. But, uh, you know, every couple of years that should be fine because uh, slowly but surely you're going to have some dead wood. There's no getting around it. And always re- realize that a lot of times the branches up higher in the tree are going to elongate more and overgrow some of the shorter branches, which are lower down on the tree. And then once those lower branches get overshadowed by the branches that are higher up, then they're probably, the tree's going to compartmentalize them many times and actually defoliate them and actually turn them into dead wood. So a lot of times dead wood is not necessarily created by insects or diseases. It could be just a natural process but once the deadwood is there, then it can be problematic. So let's go now to Patrick in Floris. and Florissant. Hi, Patrick.
5: Hey, Mike. How are you doing? Thanks Very good. My call. Great. I had a quick question, uh, actually, two. I'll double dip here. But um, first question was uh, I'm, we're in the process of, uh, we, we sold our house and uh, we're moving. So I have some hostas that uh, I would like to take to uh, our new residents. And I was just thinking about, um, uh, I know it's kind of late here, but I was thinking about digging them up, just putting them in uh, some pots that uh, I have prepared, and then putting them in the garage until uh, next spring where I could plant them at the new residence. Is that an okay process to do?
2: I wouldn't put them in the garage. I would. Oh, dig- okay. You could dig them up, put them in pots, but I would sink them in a hole someplace if you could do that. Whether it's in oh, your new... Go ahead. I could
5: even put them in the even put them in the ground yet this late. Yes, be
2: okay. Absolutely. Oh, oh, I mean, okay. it's not ideal to do. I wouldn't take them out of the pot though in the new location. So, in other oh, words, you put you dig them up, you put them in a pot, leave them in a pot, then come to your new location, dig a hole in the ground wherever you might you know. It doesn't have to be exactly where you're going to plant them or anything else, but just leave them sure. in the pot. and that way, the pot will actually help, let's say, insulate the root system a little bit and help them make it through the winter a little bit more. But putting in a perennial on the ground now, it's going to be very iffy because we don't know. what. I mean, the next week they're saying the lows are going to be in the mid-20s. And that could be right. you know, really tough, but if they're still in the pot, there are going to be some root system damage by digging them up in the first place, but just minimize it because there's going to be more root system damage when you pull them out of the pot and stick them into the new location, so we're just cutting the let's say the potential damage down some
5: okay, give myself at least a better shot right, right. <laughs> um and then i now i did I did uh, uh move a couple mums uh. Oh, back a few weeks ago when it was still 50-some-odd degrees and uh, got those in the ground out there. I guess that's just kind of a toss-up whether they'll they'll come back or not. That's right. Correct?
2: Basically, look at the stem where it's coming out of the ground. Hopefully, you have, have you did not cut them back. And the stem right no. where it's coming out, out of the ground, there should be some little green leaflets right at the base of the stem, right at ground level. That will indicate yeah. that there is some good you know potential growth.
5: Okay, very good. And then the, 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 the last thing is, uh, we did some new sod back in October, and uh, is, is that just uh, they, they didn't really have any time to do any uh, any kind of winterized fertilizer on that with the last warm day like today? Is it even worth uh, doing a throwing that down, or would it just be a waste of money?
2: If you have it sitting there, I would go ahead and you know apply it as opposed to just okay. leaving it you know stacked up in your garage.
5: Sure, sure, okay. All right. Uh, okay. Well, I, I appreciate you taking my call, Mike, and uh, enjoy the show. And God bless you and have a great day.
2: Well, same to you, and thank you. And uh, let's go now to Joe in Effingham. Hi, Joe.
5: Yes, sir. Do you have any surefire methods to get rid of mold?
2: <laughs> really? I mean, the, the studies have indicated that Victor Spear or choker loop traps are the best. I mean, yes. they've got all kinds of people, say, chewing gum and mothballs and this and that. But the studies that the University of Missouri and the University of Illinois have done, the most effective thing are traps, and it's multiple traps, you know, along the runs and moving them, you know, finding out which the most active runs are, setting the traps. And if you don't get a mole in a day or so, then you got to move them to a different location on the runs.
5: Appreciate it very much. Thank
2: yeah. You. I, mean, I mean, there is all kinds of different things. There is even, you know, they. Yeah, you know, there is a new you know, product that's relatively new in the last couple of years. It actually looks like earthworms, smells like earthworms, but it's poison. You inject it into the tunnels, you know, that are most active for the moles. And then consequently, when the mole eats this gummy, you know, let's say gummy bears, only they're gummy worms, and it kills them. But uh, I've not really heard all that much of how effective it actually is. So that's, you know, another option as well. I
5: appreciate
16: it very much.
2: Yep. And let's go now to Mary, and Mary lives in Chesterfield. Hi, Mary.
16: Hello, Mike. Um, How about you inventing a mole trap that weak old ladies could (laughs) set easily?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I understand. I mean, I even find, you know, let alone a trap like this, which are very, you know, difficult— You know, not only from the tension of the spring, but just, you know, to actually get them set and, you know, so they can be triggered. But I'm having a hard time opening cereal boxes, you know, as far as.
16: (laughs) Okay, I have two questions. One is, what color of the knockout rose do you have? I have the red. Okay. Um, Some years ago, I don't know, months, whatever, I noticed that same company had um, uh, hybridized a yellow and I was wondering how well the yellow uh, knockout did in this area. Since I read not too long ago that yellow roses don't really do well here. Right. Now, what experience do you have do you, uh, with the yellow ones? I have not seen a single one.
2: So, well, in other words, that's not to say they're not out there someplace. Uh, but you know. Right. And also, I mean, there's even the pink knockout. I have not seen them be all that prolific. It seems well, like the red is, you know, really strong, and then you, you're, you know, kind of tapering down from that point.
16: Yes, I have a blush one also that does fairly well, and of course, they're years old. Sure. Okay, so that was one question, but my other question, really, this time of the year, is, could you tell me about the horticultural needs and the origin of the cyclamen plant? Cyclamen basically,
2: are we talking about the hardy variety that grows outside or the one in pots? Oh, I didn't know
16: they grew outside. Yeah, that's oh. a different
2: variety. You can't take the one from the pot and plant it outside. But okay, when I no. worked at the botanical garden, we had a, a pretty good sized patch of hardy cyclamen.
16: Oh, see, I wouldn't know if it's hardy or not because I've not ever put it out. So uh, let's talk about the house plant.
2: Right. Basically, there's a like a bulb that kind of looks like a, a squashed down uh, let's say orange or something or a lemon. And what you need to do is I cyclamen are my favorite houseplants as far as flowering type. So I've you know I have them for a couple years and then I, I kind of get bored with them and I toss them. But what you want to do is make sure you don't overwater. And so wait till this potting mix on the inside shrinks so you see uh-huh. a big gap sure. in there, and then really water them well. And then fertilize them because they're, in, you know, depending upon when you get them. If they're in flower when you get them, do some fertilizing, but do a half-label rate on the fertilizer. Uh-huh. And then they'll go through a cycle where they'll flower and, you know, continue flowering. And I have some, they used to go dormant. And so, in other words, the foliage would more or less die off. And uh, then they, uh, the bulb I would just leave totally dry and then wait for a month or two and then start watering again and they'd re-sprout again. But for the I don't bother with doing that anymore, so I just I have them for as long as they keep foliage on them, I keep them whether they're in flower or not.
16: Uh, and do they rebloom uh, I don't know I've, I've had mine since spring and I've had beautiful foliage, right. which I love. But when could I expect it to bloom again? How often do they bloom every year, every other year? Well,
2: no they you know I've one in you know, my office. That's virtually had, it's a white one, and it's had flowers on it. It's pretty much, they're not, you know, they're pretty large flowers, but there's only a few on it. It probably, you know, it has maybe a dozen leaves and three or four flowers, and it's pretty much flowering year-round right now. Um,
16: and is it high sunshine or muted sunshine? Well, it's, uh, you know,
2: it's kind of a frosted, it sits in front of a frosted window, so but oh, it's okay. in light almost all day long as much as possible.
16: Okay. Well, I certainly thank your uh, thank you for your an- answers. I well, hope that so, I can do it, get it to bloom. Thanks. Right.
2: and Bye. you know the fertilizer could be you know a real good impact too. So just realize that, and definitely don't overwater. So Mike Miller, K M O X Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
1: This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host Mike Miller on K M O X.
2: 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We're headed to St. Peter's. Oh. No, don't go to St. Peter's. What? I like St. Peter's. <laughs> I guess we got uh ready. No, not ready yet. We've got a little computer problem here. This, what am I going to do? Well, let's see. I could eat that bark again. No, I'm not going to eat the bark anymore. (laughs) Uh, Things that you need to be doing in your yard. Uh, No fertilizing on anything for the most part. It's, you know, it's not going to be all that good for the plants. But what you can do on your trees and, you know, major larger shrubs is something called deep root feeding. What that is is you get an electric drill, an earth auger, which is a drill bit. You auger holes around the tree in concentric circles all the way from about halfway out from the trunk to the extension of the drip line, so the branches. And then you put them about two feet apart in each circle about two feet apart, one to two feet apart, and backfill each one of those holes with compost. You're feeding the soil. The soil, in reality, is what feeds your trees. So every couple years of doing that. So are we ready to go? And... Let's say we go to St. Peter's and Debbie's yard. Hi, Debbie.
10: Hello. Hi. I have uh, two Jack Manny Clematis mm-hmm. that cover like three-fourths of the side of my garage. Wow. But they've got a fungus, and I want to know if I can cut them back today, like to like 12 inches from the ground, and then pl- apply my fungicide to the soil and... And the rest of the plant, because I understand it, that fungus winters over the winter.
2: Well, if you pull the fol- you know, if you get the foliage out of there, you should be, you know, it shouldn't be all that problematic. Now, is this like just a powdery mildew type thing, like a white fog on the leaf? Um, they get black. Oh, black. really?
10: Um.
2: So it's uh, you're sure it's fungus. It's not just physical damage, like through, due to wind and things like that.
10: No, it's protected, so I I think it's more of a fungus. So all brown now, the leaves, you know, dead. But But can I cut it back? Everything back to like twelve inches from the ground. Yeah, it's going to be a while. If you if it's as huge as what you're
2: explaining, it is, it's going to take it a while to get that big again. Um. Well, in about two years. It's, right, it's, two years, it's, two to three years. So as long <laughs> as you're patient, and I would not put any kind of fungus side or anything on anything because it's not going to do any good this time of year. But just get all the debris away because, it, you know, any leaves that drop back onto those locations, that could be, you know, the source of the fungus, you know, from the, let's say, the future. So okay. just cl- get it all cleaned up, you know, put an inch or so of mulch around it, And uh, that's about all you need to do. And also, you know, it it sounds like you have good success growing them. But, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, the Clematis in general needs an alkaline soil. So a cup or so of lime every few years sprinkled around, not necessarily right on top of where the stems are coming up out of the ground, but in the, the soil would be to its advantage as well.
10: Okay, um, and so I should take out all the old mulch and not not reuse that?
2: I would say your your mulch is probably fine. Just get all the, let's say, plant debris out of it.
10: Okay. All right. I've never trimmed them because I really don't know how to or prune them. I well, just don't I mean, know how I, to do that.
2: Yeah, you're really cutting them back to, like I say, 12 inches is going to take a couple years at best to actually get back to the size mm-hmm. that they are. I would say mm-hmm. cut them back, you know. Because usually with clematis, the top, the bottom part of the plant has no foliage. You know, the last you know, right? Yeah. And so I would say, maybe cut them back so you're getting rid of all the foliage. But I wouldn't go any lower than that.
13: Okay.
10: All righty.
2: And it's going to be a job.
10: Well, <laughs> <laughs> I I just don't. I've never known how to prune it, and I've
2: never pruned it. And yeah. I mean most most of the time you don't have to. So that's why. Either that or just leave it alone this year when next year it starts you know, getting this let's say what you're assuming is fungus take some stems to your local garden center and let them take a look at it to find out what it really is before you want to just go ahead and cut it Or mm-hmm. you can just cut it I mean the choice is yours obviously
10: Well in when it warms up uh you know whatever February March April uh a lot of them, you can see the green, and you can see little blossoms all the way up to the top on right. some of the strands. But, you know, they're so fragile. If I try to take out the dead, then, you know, the new ones break.
2: Well, just you know, just be careful. Until the leaves turn black, then go ahead and, you know, take those to the garden center. Other than that, that's about all, you know, I would recommend, Debbie. So good luck okay. with that. If you've got those huge clematis, I wouldn't fool with them personally. But anyway, let's go now to uh Julie in South City. Hi, Julie.
8: Hi, Mike. Can go- you hear me?
2: Yes, uh huh.
8: Oh, okay. I have a staghorn fern that I've had for probably about ten years. It's Ooh. on a board. It's I have it in my living room. It's beautiful, but it's in like two clump like two big separate clumps. Right. But they are kind of mingled, you know, like together. Right. But the bottom one looks like it's died off. It doesn't have any new Fronds or anything at all coming out of it, and I wondered if I can cut that off. How about or, the
2: existing fronds? Do they look okay?
8: The other one looks really good. It I mean, a lot of,
2: the the one that you're saying that's lower that you know is not putting out any new growth is it? it doesn't it,
8: have anything on it anymore. Nothing. Well, no then leaves. I would
2: yeah, just get rid of it. But you don't necessarily have to do it because in their native habitat, as they grow on sides of trees and things like that. You know, what they're going to do is use sort of the food of one that dies that's close by okay. as it, you know, as it biodegrades. But if it's an aesthetic thing, yeah, just be careful when you take it off.
8: And what's the best kind of what my friend of mine made a board for me like years and years ago, and it's starting to kind of get at the bottom, it's breaking, and I can see the pointy brackets coming through that he put on there to, hang, to put the wire on to hang it from. Right. So I was going to try to mount this board onto another little bit larger piece of wood. I
2: would probably, if you're going to mount it on a different board, I would just use something as simple as balsa wood, B-A-L-S-A. Yeah.
8: Okay. Do you know where you can, find, can get that at the Most hobby center? stores have it. Okay. You know, All it, right.
2: So. Well, thank you, then. Yeah, and I'd probably maybe use some kind of glue and just glue the old board on top of, onto the new board.
8: Right, and then the other plant kind of starts curving around right. it. Right, It's exactly. really, it's really beautiful.
2: Right, they're spectacular. So. I like them a lot.
8: All right, thanks so much. Sure.
2: Now let's go over to Columbia, Illinois, and see what's going on with Bill. Bill, how are you today?
15: Hi, Mike. I've got a. I'm going to cut
12: back my knockout roses today. Mm-hmm. And after I do that, do I need to cover them up for the winter?
2: Uh, probably the best thing to do would be about uh, four to six inches of mulch over the, you know, the stems that are left. Now, okay. if there were hybrid teas and grandiflores, it would be even a little bit deeper. But four to six inches should be adequate mulch. Great.
6: Okay, thank you
12: very
5: much. That's yep. all I want
2: to know. And, uh, yeah, it's just uh, knockout roses are pretty tough. Some people don't do anything for the wintertime and they don't have any problems with. But I still like that little bit of buffer because we do not have any idea what the weather is going to be like. So let's get another call in before we take a break and go to Ron. And Ron lives in Webster Groves. Hi, Ron.
14: Hello, Mike. Hi. Hi. Uh, I've got uh, some information on the uh, Venus flytrap that the gentleman called at the first-year program. Oh, great. Venus flytraps need a rest during the wintertime. Right. And the best way to rest those is to—what I. What I do is, is I put it in a big plastic bag with a little damp moss— Seal it up and stick it in the refrigerator. Wow. Which gives it the cooling that it requires. Because in the Carolinas where these come from, mm-hmm. they die back in the wintertime. Right. And if they don't die back, uh they may come up the next year, but they may not come up well. Ah. So they they die off without the rest. In nature, they have a rest every year.
2: That's true, like a wintertime dormancy type thing. Right. Great.
14: So it's just a a suggestion.
2: No, no, that's good insight. Yeah, we've actually been to a couple in Oregon. We've been to, you know, let's say an insecticide or an insect, you know, plant-oriented type thing. Picture plants, what we saw there. And I think we may have seen a stand of them in a park in North Carolina, you know, of the Venus flytrap.
14: Uh, And that, I believe, is the only place in the world where they come from. Really? They're rare uh, (laughs) in the rest of the world now, you know. But now they've got so many different hybrids. Right. Not actually hybrids. They're varieties of all the same plant. Right. Some of them are yellow in color. Some of them are real red in the pouch. Some of them are greens. It's just... It length of hairs on the <laughs> lip. Some of them are real short. Some of them are real long. So it just, but they're all the same plant. They're just different varieties.
2: Well, great. Thanks, Ron, for the information. Right. Mike Miller, KM Wash Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
1: Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on okay, KMOX.
2: Okay, folks, we've got about 10 minutes or a little bit less, so if you could hold it to just one question, that would be greatly appreciated so we can get through everybody. Lou lives in St. Louis. Lou, how are
3: you today?
11: Oh, fine. Hi, Mike. Thanks Hi. for being on our show. We sure. really appreciate it. We'd never fire you no matter how many mistakes you make. <laughs> uh, you have the humility to admit it and to correct them. I make at least 10 mistakes a day. Um, <laughs> My question is, I have a stevia plant that I took out of the ground outside before the frost, and I brought it in, but it dried, and the leaves dried up before I put it in the pot. But I have it in a pot now in a south window, and all the leaves are gone. But I wonder if new leaves will come back on it or if it's just dead.
2: I probably think it won't. It won't come back. But cut the, all the stems off and just water it like you would naturally water it. So stevia is kind of in the herb group. So, again, make sure the potting mix that is growing in will, you know, shrink away from the inside of the pot before you water it again. And just kind of keep your fingers crossed. And what we're doing with this is we're just hoping that the root system is viable and still growing. Mm-hmm. And then it will pr- produce some new stems slash foliage.
11: Okay. How short should I cut it?
2: I would cut it, all, you know, all the way kind of down to maybe one or two inches.
11: One or two inches from the uh, soil? Yes. Okay, I'll do that then. Thank you very much for the information.
2: Yeah, because, I mean, the, the stems that are there, if the foliage is all dyed, the stems are probably dysfunctional anyway. And now let's go to Ellen and Fenton. Hi, Ellen.
10: Hi. I was uh, j- We just moved into a new house, and they did put some landscaping in the front. Uh, and I wanted to, we had got two um, mums, one is huge, and the other one is just a regular size, and I wanted to put them in the ground, but I didn't know if if my husband just had back surgery, so he can't do it. If I can get a grandson, which side of the house would I want it to, where it gets lots of sun or not so much sun?
2: As much sun as possible.
10: Okay, well... They're building a new house on that side, so <laughs> yeah. I don't think I'm going to be able to... Will they last if I put them in the garage? Uh, no. I, can put them,
2: I wouldn't no. do that. I would dig a hole someplace in the ground and drop them in the hole and leave them in the pot.
10: Okay. And okay. So
2: don't cut the stems off, and if they're going to, if you're going to do that, make sure that you don't put it underneath an overhanging eave because you want to make sure rain, snow, everything else keeps the root system... Gets on
10: it? Yes. Okay. All righty. Thank you very much. Certainly.
2: And let's see. We've already done Lou, and let's go now to Diane in Muscoot, Illinois. Hi, Diane.
8: Hi, Mike. Hey, I was just calling the lady that called about the uh,
10: hibiscus that had the black spots on it.
2: Yeah, well, she had clematis. Um, that was clematis she was uh, talking
6: clematis. I'm sorry. It's, that's what I meant. Okay. Um, my mom and I had the same problem, and we washed all the leaves with Dawn dishwashing liquid water and a little bit of baking soda.
2: Really? We washed them twice. And it went away. So you actually washed individual leaves or you put it in like kind of some kind of sprayer?
6: We washed them with individual leaves. Whoa. There two of us, so it didn't take too long. <laughs> <laughs> but it did make it go away. We didn't know if it was a uh, insect or if it was a fungus, but the leaves were all turning black. Wow. And and it, it worked.
2: Well, that sounds perfect. So, again, di- dishwashing, uh, Dawn, dawn. dishwashing, water, yeah. and baking soda. Yeah. All right, perfect. Well, thanks for the insight. Uh huh. Bye. See ya. And now let's stay in Illinois and go to Marine and into Vera's yard. Hi, Vera.
7: Hey. Good morning. Good morning. You uh, talked about putting lime on the clematis. Yes. Yeah. Okay. How often and when?
2: Uh, probably, it doesn't really matter when because you're not really. It's not a fertilizer per se. What you're doing is changing the chemistry of the soil. And probably depending upon how big it is, probably about a let's say a cup. Every few years is about all you need to do.
8: Okay, because I've done that before, but I couldn't I couldn't remember if there was a time limit on it. No, no,
2: no, no. Well, what will happen is that depending upon what, you know, if it's up close to a house, the soil is going to be somewhat alkaline anyway because of the concrete. So, but still, I mean, adding that little bit of lime, the same thing that you would do for lilacs to make sure the pH stays more alkaline versus acidic is going to be to the advantage of the plant.
8: Right. And, you know, I've also put that on my butterfly bushes and on my crepe myrtles. Oh, really? And, uh, yeah, it really does make a difference. But your clematis especially.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Clematis Clematis. and lilac, that's the ones that you almost have to do. The other one's not so much so, but if you've had good luck doing it, that's great.
8: Right. And you see about a cup. That's yeah, a lot.
2: Yeah, I mean, sprinkle it just around over the ground. You don't just dump it in one spot. So just sprinkle it around and water it in so it gets down through the mulch or whatever and right. into the soil, or into, at least to the soil surface.
8: Okay, well, I gave lime to all my girlfriends because of it, and I told them that that's what I did. And they keep asking me, well, when are you supposed to do it? So I said, well, I guess I got to call Mike.
2: Yeah, it doesn't really matter when you do it.
8: Okay. Okay. Thank you. Have a good day.
2: Yeah, because the lime, and the you know, the alkalinity stays for a couple of years. So thank you. And now let's go to Saint Peter's. Cindy, how are you today? I'm fine. Go ahead.
9: Um, I have a couple of questions. I just brought back some peony or peonies roots mm-hmm. from Wisconsin. Is it too late to plant them now?
2: Uh, you're, it's very, very iffy. You know, Boy, I, I get. I would say. Get some pots, get some potting mix for starting plants, plant them in pots, stick stick the pots into the ground, because the pots are just going to act as an insulator.
9: Okay. And um, is it too late to put sod down also? Uh,
2: I would say pretty much yes. If the garden centers still have it, it's still a little bit of an iffy thing. I don't think the garden centers still have it, to be honest.
9: No, I was going to go to a sod farm, but oh. I, my dogs have torn up my backyard, oh. and I need to put something down.
2: Yeah, I would say the sod is not going to be able you know, putting sod down, I don't know if the root system is going to get established enough, and your dogs are going to keep running in the same place, so you're going to end up with the same thing over again.
9: Okay. And um, I've had a comatus for probably 15 years, mm-hmm. and it's never, it's never flowered. Whoa. And I'm wondering if, and it's out in full sun, um, I was just listening and they were talking about putting lime on it. Right. If, if that would help it or It, or certainly, not.
2: it certainly couldn't hurt and doing some fertilizing, too.
9: Okay. Okay. Well, thank you so much and have a great day.
2: You do the same. And our final call of the day is going to be Sue from Eureka. Sue, how are you?
9: I'm great. How are you today? Very good. Thank you for taking my call. I have two hibiscus that I have brought in. They're not large, they're in pots, and they're inside my home. I do not have a very good sunshiny room. What what should I do? I do have a basement, but still no good sunshine.
2: I would say if you're really serious about them, uh, go to your favorite garden center and get some grow lights and put grow lights over the top of them.
9: Okay, okay. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, I and mean, how about, how about watering?
2: Uh, water, again, with anything that's inside, when the potting mix shrinks away from the inside of the pot, then that's when you water. I don't know how big these are, but put some saucers underneath them, and uh, that's probably what I would do. I I ha- I grow. I have I have my grow lights in the basement. I just have uh-huh. two, and I got the fluorescent type. You don't have to get that type. But, uh, you know, that's kind of what I do with things that I want to save over the wintertime.
9: Right. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Certainly. Thank and you for thank your time.
2: You. Mm-hmm yeah the hibiscus uh just realize the hibiscus is going to drop a lot of leaves even with the grow lights so and thanks to everybody for calling in i know this is a very exciting weekend with thanksgiving just over so i hope everybody had a fun great wild totally crazy thanksgiving every family is going to have a different sort of perspective on thanksgiving and uh just enjoy that's the best thing you can do take a walk around the yard Don't necessarily look down for the weeds and everything else. Just enjoy it. That's what could be more fun than that. And I want to thank everybody for calling in, and I want to thank you for having me on your show. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. See you next week.
0: How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix,